If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a, a passage, but we're going to pretty much deal with a few. But I want to read, I want to read enough. We kind of get a sense of what we're looking at. Let's just start in verse 12. That would be fine. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that, is what it, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all other people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded, and it was so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused to sp- him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. My message is titled, His Unshakable Kingdom, because... What I see, in you, you look in verse 26 and 27, which is really where I want to focus. I want to look at two things that are in comparison one to another. And they are the things that can be shaken and removed and the things that are unshakable. Because there's two, there's two things listed here. There's two things. Verse 26, it says, "...whose voice then shook the earth." But now he has promised saying, and this is Haggai saying this, yet once more I shake not the earth but also heaven. He goes on, verse 27, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now when we think about something being shaken or shook, 
we have to think about what does that mean? I mean, we've probably all at some point in our lives taken a, a can of paint or whatever. You, you know what you're doing, right? You're, you're shaking a can or you're shaking salad dressing or whatever, whatever we like to shake up. What are we really doing? We're, we're taking that thing and we're, we're agitating that, aren't we? We're, we're creating quite a commotion when it comes down to it. You're, you're, you're really giving it to it, aren't you? Because you don't want the, the paint not to be mixed up or you don't want your oil and vinegar salad dressing to be just oil. You, you want it mixed. You want things shaken up. So when we think about a definition of shaken or shook, we look at a word and we go, it means to agitate or shake, to cause to totter, to shake down or overthrow. And one dictionary said it like this, to cast down from one's secure and happy state. Ah, see, we don't like that one. But I've got that one in bold print because there's something about God Almighty who knows when to shake and when to agitate and when to cause a commotion. Not because things are out of his control, but because sometimes that us in that shaking or that commotion, we learn more than we ever thought we could know. Because like Starla said, right? If it's always sunny, where's the, where's the test? Where's the trial? Where, where's, the, where's the thing that, that causes us to suddenly realize that I've got nothing I've got nothing. All I can do is trust in a God who controls all things and has given us promises that if I just step out, take a hold, and trust, he cannot fail because he cannot lie. So we think in terms of, and when I do a study, I like to look at where that kind of a, a word is used in Scripture. Well, when we think of shaking, that's used quite a bit in Scripture. You know, we don't like to think about that idea of being shook. And I guarantee you, everyone in this room, to some degree or another, in their Christian life, has probably faced some kind of shake, some kind of, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Where am I going from here? Things that on a small level and sometimes on a big level cause us to feel a certain sense of a lack of security because sometimes that security is built upon our idea of who we are. What we've done in the past, what we've accomplished yesteryear, and yet, you might even think today, this church sits in a time of shaking. A little bit of shaking. That things change. Things come into each life and cause turmoil. Not because you're in sin, but just because we live in a world that's like that. But here we are, those who are going to be in times when things are shaken. Things may be shook up. We know in the end times, 
that the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Men at the tomb. Remember the men who came to Jesus' tomb? The stone was rolled away and they saw the angel. It says, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Shook. I mean, it actually means trembling. You know, I don't do that enough when I come before God. Sometimes I know for myself and maybe all of us, we get to be on this level where we think, yep, this is how God is. This is what we have now in Jesus. And now God's kind of our buddy. And although we have peace with God, he has never ceased to be the God who shakes the world. When he intervenes in his creation, many times the earth would shake, tremble. People would fall down in fear. We read at the end of this passage that God is what? A consuming fire. Has he ever changed from being a consuming fire? Never has he changed from who he is. The Thessalonians were told to not be soon shaken in mind because somebody was telling them the day of the Lord had passed. And you can imagine these people thinking, all tore up in their minds. We missed something. We missed it. It came and went and we're still here. And Paul is comforting these people. Don't be all shook up in your mind. Don't let what you're hearing, whether it be in spirit or word or in letter, determine your mindset. Don't get all tore up over the news that somebody else is bringing. Remember when Peter and John, after they... Jesus healed the lame man at the temple, and Peter and John are, are brought before, you know, those in authority and were threatened, told, no more shall you speak. And teach in the name of Jesus. And they said, yes, sir. They didn't bow down to that at all, right? But what happened? They went back to the believers. And they were all in one accord. And they prayed. And you know what happened? The house shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given boldness to do more than they could ever do before. The house shook. When the Holy Spirit came. We also get a word that's very similar in Greek. You know, I'm not going into Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar. But we have the word earthquake. Very similar in the word group. And it's the Greek word seismos. Now we all know what English word we get from that, right? It's seismic. Where earthquakes are measured Earthquakes. Now, an earthquake is an extreme shaking. It's a commotion. It can be a tempest. I looked up some... I didn't print any of them up, but I looked up some personal experiences of people who've been in an earthquake. And some of them said it was like the earth became liquid. Now, I don't know about you, that would shake me up. 
I, I've, I've no longer got a sure footing here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm all about it, you know. I know how to stand on two feet. You do too, I hope. But in an earthquake, and one of them was recent in Nepal, the, the woman said that it was just, there was nothing firm to stand on. She lost her sense of a sure footing. Something gave way underneath what she believed was firm and secure. We see the word earthquake used all too much. It's, it, there's a lot of references in the Bible. But we know that at the crucifixion of Christ, there was an earthquake. When the tomb and the, ro- and the stone was rolled away from his tomb, there was an earthquake. The veil was rent in two and the rocks were rent and there was an earthquake. And then we know at the end of the ages when judgment and wrath falls upon the earth. Revelation 6 says that I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell and and as a fig tree drops its figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. You know, I read enough of these examples of earthquakes and how when, when God does something in his creation, this thing we call earth that we think is so firm and sure and we can place our trust in the things of it, that when he did something in his creation, it generally came with power, an earthquake, a shaking. And I'm thinking, wow, not always, but I'm thinking, Lord, do you always have to be so dramatic? And he said, who are you to even ask a question like that? Because that's the kind of question that maybe you ask and you think, what am I doing? Am I placing my idea of God on him? Or am I supposed to look at these things and be shaken like these people were and tremble at his presence and understand that when he comes to do something in his earth, it's dramatic, it's powerful, and it shakes. Verse 26, if you're still in Hebrews... It says that his voice, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now when his voice shook the earth, you look back at verse 18, we've already read it, but it has to do with, remember at Mount Sinai, giving of the law? You read in Exodus 19 how when he came, to bring the law, give the law to Moses, when he came to establish a covenant with his people. It says that Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And we can read things like that and we can think, yeah, 
That must have been pretty dramatic, but you got a picture if you were there. It was way more than just dramatic. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille couldn't ever recreate this. I know half you don't know who that is. There's something about who God is that when he comes to deal with the earth and the inhabitants on it and his own people sometimes, that there is a shaking there is a quake. There is something that, that creates a lack sometimes of sure footing in who we think we are. And that's not a bad thing because you didn't want to stand at Mount Sinai with the giving of the law while Moses is 40 days and 40 nights on his face before God and you're down there being like the Israelites who got tired of waiting and suddenly all of that became, yeah, and you know what? Moses is gone. Let's make an idol. Let's have a party. How soon do we forget the awesomeness of God and how dynamic He is in dealing with us and how powerful He truly is we need to continually, as much as we are grateful for what we have through His Son, He still remains God. It says the same speaker then who shook the earth now promised something in the future. Haggai is speaking to those who were back in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple. And of course, what did they do? They started fine. And they decided, you know, it's probably not really time to build a temple. Let's build our own houses first. And they neglected God's house. They neglected the things of God. And they put all their interests first. And even their sacrifices became nothing to God. They, they didn't want them because they weren't done in the right way. So he's warning them and encouraging them, and he's telling them, you know what? There's coming a day, and this is what the, letter, the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people. There is coming a day when, yes, there was a time when his voice shook the earth at the giving of the law, but now there's another shaking coming, and it's going to shake heaven and earth, and it's Jesus. He came, and by what he did, and by the covenant, the sacrifice, who he was, what he came to do, he shook the whole world. Because what was, for these Jewish Christians, what was and what they had put all of their trust in, the law, the Levitical priesthood, the temple, all of these things that they held on to as the end waiting for this earthly kingdom to come, Jesus shook all that, didn't he? He came and he did something totally different. He dealt with the spiritual realm, which then affects our physical. But he came and he shook all that, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that these people need to be aware of the fact that those things that they were holding on to Jesus came, and by a 
better word, himself whom now God speaks by, a better sacrifice, a better priesthood, a better covenant based on better promises. All those Old Testament Jewish types and shadows had now been fulfilled in one man. But if that one man was causing you, your belief in that one man was causing you a lot of trouble, maybe you would want to start looking back to those old things. And see, it's easy for us to do that. We, we start on a course of heading forward. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting him with all I've got. And then, maybe things get a little different. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a tempest comes in or a storm comes into your life. And you go, you know what? Maybe I'm not so sure about this. Let me go back a little bit. Let me just step back a bit. I was more comfortable back here. Remember those days? Maybe you don't. You know, it... I had gone to a Baptist church for a number of years. Maybe I could just, I have nothing against the Baptist. Maybe I could just drift on out of here and go sit in the back row of a Baptist church. And guess what? I wouldn't have some of the things that I deal with in this assembly that are good, that, that we're confronted with, hopefully on a twice a week basis at least. But when he's, he's telling these people that yet once more the shaking was going to come and it was going to shake not only the earth but heaven also. And Jesus comes on the scene and he changes and removes the old and establishes the new. And that's where we're at today, isn't it? But the removal... When it says that it indicates in verse 27 that yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. There's a purpose in that shaking, isn't there? Whenever there's a shaking in our life, can we say there's a purpose in it? Or, or do we just look at it and go, why me? Why me? Why not you? Why not me? So Jesus comes, and the things that were made are shaken and removed. Now, very few of us in here are Jewish Christians. We have one. But if your whole hopes were based on your ideas... And what was established a long time ago, even though the prophets had continually prophesied on one who would come and save them, deliver them, and bring about all that they had been looking for. And he comes on the scene and shakes all of this free. It is, it's a problem. We look at these people and think, what's the big deal? But it would be a problem. It's a problem for some people in other churches or religious institutions to be shook free from things that they hold on to so dearly even though they're not scriptural. I mean, is that possible? How many in here have been shook free 
from things that were made by man. Everybody in here probably at some point has been shook free by some sort of agitation and you went, oh, those things are man-made. That's a man-made system. Those are things that are of my imagination. And now, in a time of shaking or in a time of storm or of a time of tempest, I begin to see those things shaken and set free out of my life. Shaken and dealt with. That's a good thing. We don't like the shaking part, do we? I don't like the shaking part. So the things that are shaken and removed in verse 27 are the things that are made. Because there's something and there are some things that are unshakable, aren't there? And he says that it's the shaking that removes those things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken might remain. There is one thing that is unshakable, and that's God's kingdom. His rule, his promises, his king, his rule, everything about his kingdom is unshakable. That's what remains. Is it okay then for God to shake us up once in a while? See, nobody wants to question nobody wants to I'm going to let that go. Anyway. So what we see is a contrast then. There's a distinguishing. There's, there's a distinguishing between two things. Things that can be shaken and the things that are unshakable. And he wants these people, just like I believe God wants us to be, is fully grounded and have a mindset that's on the unshakable. And I know that's what God would have us be, is to always be attached to and fully confident in the unshakable. Because you can see where we live in a world we live in a good place. We really do. We live in a good place. We're at peace. The government wants to pry into all your private business. That's... We have freedoms here that some people don't. There are things that we can do in this country that's far greater than other countries maybe. But what happens in, in other places where governments change? How, how would you like if this government just up one night and was overthrown and changed? Would you be shook? I hope not. Because you've put your trust in something that is made. See, we, we have a tendency to get comfortable and think that I've got my IRA, my 401k, my retirement plan, I've got social, well, it, never mind with the social security, but we, I've got all these things that there's nothing wrong with them until 
they become somehow what we hold on to and put our trust in. Because I think God can shake that free. And you don't want to be one of those who is so attached to those things that you put trust in, your abilities, your righteousness, your pride, your, your business, your savings, your whatever. You know what I'm talking about. That if God was to shake this land, we would remain the unshakable ones. We wouldn't fall apart and go, well, but, I, but I, and I, and I thought I, and I, you know, I'm sure I do it on a monthly basis. There are things that are in my life on a very small personal level that I tend to put more confidence and trust in than I should. And it's very easy for God to just shake something up and I go, <laughs> I've got no means of doing this apart from you. Zero. I need to learn to trust him in all things. All day, every day. If you would, turn over to Matthew 8. We think of the word seismus. We also get the word tempest, which we see in Matthew 8. And we're all going to know this story. And I just want to look at it briefly. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. We want to talk about the word also translated tempest. Because here in Matthew 8 and verse 23, it says, Now when he, Jesus, got into a boat and his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, other uh, I think it's Mark's Mark says that the boat was being filled with water. What had they done wrong? It must be some sin, right? No, they're, they're going in a boat and they're taking Jesus somewhere and suddenly a tempest arises. And the boat was covered with waves. But Jesus, he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he asked them a question. But he said to them, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Now if you can picture the story like I'm sure you have. Jesus gets into a boat and his disciples with him. Some of these men were fishermen. They had total confidence in how to manage a boat, right? I would hope. They've been on the sea many years. They know what they're doing. Just like you and I. We've got plenty of natural ability. We know what we're doing. We've got it. You know, we've been coming to this church for 110 years. I've, I've got it figured out. I'm, I've got it. I'm, I know everything I need to know. I've been everywhere I need to be. I've learned everything I need to learn. And that's one thing I know, is that we certainly know more than we live. I know it's true in my life, so I'm accusing you of the same. I know more than I live. But 
These men had a certain level. Can you say they get in the boat? They've done it many times before. They've got what? They get in a boat. They've done it. Their human natural ability tells them, no problem. We've done this before. We can get the boat to the other side. Come on, Jesus, get in. Let's go. And what happens? Suddenly, a tempest arises to where the waves are crashing over the side of the boat and filling the boat. It's sinking. Where is their sure footing now? Where's all their human effort and all their wisdom and knowledge and experience in piloting a boat? Where is it? They're standing there. They're about to drown. The boat is sinking. Do you think they had a shaking experience? Do you think fear came upon them? Because I don't know. I, I got no way of controlling this matter. Jesus, Lord, wake up. I don't know what he was going to do. Help them bail it out? Lord, don't you understand we're about to perish? They lost confidence in their human ability to achieve something. And what does he ask them? Why are you fearful? First thing, right? Why are you fearful? Because fear is that debilitating force that causes our brains to enter into places it doesn't belong. Fear is that thing, that, like was said this morning, that though I fear, yet will I trust him. Is that what Jesus is trying to get across to these men? Why are you so fearful? I'm here. I'm with you. Why? Are you so fearful? And I'm sure Peter's going in his head, what do you mean, what am I so fearful about? The boat's sinking. We're about to die. It's a real situation. Just like you and I have real situations where we're in a boat and we've lost all our footing, it seems, and we're wondering, Lord, don't you see what's happening? Why are you so fearful? What are you afraid of? O ye of little faith. Maybe they had forgotten what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. I'm telling you, friends, we live in that world where the, the, the seas of people roar, where governments are shaking, where organized things that we tend to look at and have a certain level of confidence in may one day be shaken. Why are you so fearful? Maybe you're not. Some are. In the end of the age, when all these things begin to happen, it doesn't say that men's hearts fail them for fear. We are those who through the shaking, through the tempest, through the storm, learn to trust in one person and one person alone. And it's the one who's in the boat with us. Because he's always there. 
even when it doesn't seem like it. He's always there. And He's there tomorrow before you got there. He already knew the storm was coming. He didn't prevent the storm or the tempest, did He? He didn't stop the shaking from coming. He didn't even stop when waves were coming in the boat and they were losing their footing. He didn't want them to have any confidence in their own ability. You trust me and me alone because I am there for you. And when they did trust him, what happened? Peace be still. And it's over. Just like that. It's over. The storm ends because they ceased looking at their weakness and their inability to do anything about the situation. And they looked to him. And he takes care of it. So what do we do? Do we do that? Do we, as those in Luke 6, where he says, whoever comes to me and calls me Lord, Lord, and doesn't do the things that I do, remember that? I will show whom he is like. Now turn over to Luke. We've got time. Luke chapter 6. I know we've heard this. I'm not going to read it to you or try to quote it. 647. Another shaking. 6 and verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And we've all heard the dink. We've heard the sermon on the dink, right? Is it the dink or the clink? Or the dink. The man who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. So that when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not do what? They dug deep so that the storms of life, the things that God allows to shake us free of our own confidence, the only thing that remains is the unshakable rock, that foundation, those things that we have learned to have nothing but confidence in. They dug deep, and the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. Now, I think we can read those things all day long. We can talk about how great that is, right? And I'm still convinced that we've heard more and we know more than we live. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just saying, I, I believe that. But we have to keep learning, right? We have to keep hearing. But these things have to then be lived. But just like the people, the disciples in the boat, there's one thing about most, or some, I'm not gonna, I, I probably shouldn't even put a, I shouldn't qualify it. But let's just say there are those, and maybe we're some of them, maybe I'm one of them, who we tend to put and tend to have more of a reality. The things in the natural are actually more real to us than spiritual things. 
We tend to see natural things, money, cars, houses, and we see security, and we see various things in things in the natural, right down to you see wind and waves, and you go, wow, that's terrible. And we tend to see things in the natural as possibly more real than spiritual matters. Spiritual things are not as real to us as natural things. That's what I'm trying to say. Because we look at it and we go, I can't see it. I can't see the kingdom of God. I can't see these things. I can't touch them. I can't hold them. But what are we expected to do? We're expected to ground ourselves on the unseen, aren't we? So that when those things that are made, those things that are seen, are shaken, we remain standing on a rock. I'd like to say that if a shaking ever comes, that every one of us in here will be found standing on a rock, but I'm not sure I can say that. I'd like to. And I'm sure there's people that have come and gone from here where they thought they stood on a rock, they heard a lot of things, and they mentally agreed with it, and they thought they stood on a rock, and then a tempest came. And suddenly, it, it, they, they lost sight of the rock, and they never had the rock. And they're tossed to and fro, and the next thing you know, you know what? I'm going back where I came from. Because it didn't work. It always works. He always works. But see, we need to be those who are grounded and firm on the unshakable. So what do we do? I should have told you to keep your finger in Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews, please. So what do we do? May we talk about it some more? I mean, we're really... If you ask my wife, I'm good at talking. It's all I do. It's just about wear her out. She's hearing these sermons six and eight times before you even get them. (laughs) I never used to be a talker. Now I've got something to talk about. Verse 28. What do we do? What do we do? Commotion, agitation, disturbance, shaking comes to us. What do we do? Well, we learned one thing already. If you haven't dug deep and found the rock and established yourself on a foundation, you need to start now. If you're just coming in here and by association with everybody else in here, you just think it's going to work for you, stop what you're doing and personally get digging Because when things begin to shake, who's going to help you? You're going to need to be standing on that rock. You're going to need to have a foundation that is unshakable. I'm not a doomsday person, but let's be real. All throughout history, governments have up and down and been turned upside down. Christians are being persecuted today. People are being confronted with things that they have to either know they're standing on the unshakable kingdom or they're not. They have to know because some people's lives are at stake. 
It's not just the grace of God will just get me through and it'll be okay. And I'll just deny the Lord and then in secret I'll just... That's not how it works, is it? Our commitment is to the King of kings, Lord of lords, His kingdom, His rule, and His way of doing things, that His blessings and His authority can be in our lives. You can't say you're in His kingdom and not live like one of His, can you? We can't do that. Verse 28, if you're back in Hebrews... Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Those things and those people that are outside of his kingdom, that are not in his unshakable kingdom, when the shaking comes, will find themselves totally without a footing, without any surety of what they're doing or where they're going. We are, it says in Hebrews here, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What do you mean receive a kingdom? We receive everything about what Jesus has gone and prepared for us. We receive everything that he, as Lord of lords and King of kings, who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, has established. And now he's up there waiting for what? His enemies to be made his footstool. But we are entering into, are we receiving that kingdom, that rule in our lives, those blessings, those unshakable promises is what we receive because of the grace shown to us through His Son. Because apart from that, we're all on shaky ground, aren't we? I don't care how religious people get out in the world. You know how many religions there are that are probably more Let me put it this way. Religious groups that are more religious than maybe we are, in a sense that they've established all these ways of being pious, all these systems of men that make it appear as if they're godlike or they're close to God, when in fact it's all man-made stuff that God doesn't even recognize. Well, a day comes when it's... Does God have an ability to do that? I certainly don't want anything in my life that shaking comes that all of a sudden I find myself just teetering. Because I need as much, I, I need as much of Him in my life and I need as much revelation of His Word as I can get because that's what I need to be established on. I don't need men's systems. I don't need men's opinions. I really don't care about any of that. We're those who hopefully are taking the time to dig deep, who are listening for that rock, and you're not satisfied until. Amen. Dink.
The only way I can see us, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, is we have to be like David in Psalm 16, 8, when he said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. You and I are told about an unshakable kingdom that we are receiving, that we have entered into. It's not fully consummated yet, but we have said that we are calling Jesus Lord. He is our Savior. Is he your king? Is he your ruler? Or do you just want what he has to offer? And if that sounds harsh and legalistic, I'm not talking about setting up rules. I'm talking about having a relationship with the one who gave everything so that you could have a part in this inheritance of his kingdom. He is the one that's unshakable. It's the place where he rules, but it is a spiritual kingdom. So when we're told to seek first the kingdom of God, right? We're told to have no trust in mammon. You can't serve mammon and God. All these things that the Gentiles are seeking after, don't worry about it. You, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'll wake up in the boat and make it all right. But get it right. Get it established right that his kingdom, his way of doing things, his submission to his lordship is the key to being unshaken. Jesus even said when he's talking to Pilate, right? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. Our lives have got to be spiritually minded. You can't go through life being carnal and then spiritual on Sunday morning. I, I, that, no such a thing. Not truly. That's called religion. And we all know too many people that go to church, and that's about the extent of their Christianity, isn't it? They live their whole week as if God doesn't almost exist, and then come to church on Sunday. They might even carry a big Bible. I don't know if they even do that anymore. I don't know if people, people even big Bibles at church anymore except here and a few other places. I know places where they don't. Believe it or not, go to church with no Bible. I, I'm, I'm totally flabbergasted with that one. We're told that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And we're also told that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not material. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Ghost. We're told that we should walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. He says in verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Or let us be thankful. Let us Understand that what we have been given 
is so great that we are so thankful that we choose to live under his rule. We don't look at it as some burden. It's like, I got to do this. He said, don't do this. I got to do this. Ugh! Why are there so many rules? You need to re-examine yourself on that one because his commandments should not be burdensome to any of us who are his children. We're called into a glorious kingdom that one day will rule and reign over all other kingdoms. They'll all be put down. We're part of something so much bigger than this little bit we're doing here. We need to have grace. We need to be thankful. He goes on to say that we should serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Like I said in the beginning, God has not changed from being a consuming fire. God has never changed from being that God who when he spoke, the earth shook. That when he moves, something quakes. Something changes. We serve him acceptably because we are in reverence of him and we serve him with godly fear. And why do we do that? The last verse. For our God is a consuming fire. You know where we started in verse 14? It says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. I mean, think about it. You want to see God? Seriously, do you, do you really want to see him? He's commanding us to pursue peace with all men, even those who are making your life miserable. These people being persecuted follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. Holiness. Does that mean whoever speaks up here has to put on a robe, put on a big robe, maybe one of those hats? It's not holiness, is it? Bigger Bibles, is that holiness? We know all these things aren't holiness. Holiness is you are separated from one thing onto another. Our lives are told to be separated from the world and its ways and all those things that are going to be shaken and are being shaken to him who is the unshakable. That's who we are being holy onto, set, set apart to. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Well, last verse. He says, you and you, Lord, in the beginning, verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, that thing that we live on, this place that we see is so immense and so strong and so big and so stable and so reliable. We can count on, you know, the earth and mountains and granite and rocks and all that big tough stuff. 
He laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. But what is going to happen? They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not fail. Who in here can take the earth and the heavens? Anybody in here want to volunteer for this position? Take all things created and just fold it all up because I'm done with this. I'm creating all things new. This, this, where big mountains and oceans and all this grandeur. I, I created it. One day I'll fold it all up. But he still remains, doesn't he? And those who are in him remain stable and with him because he is the unshakable one. He never changes. I just want to read one thing written a long time ago and we'll be done. From heaven's height, the soul surveys the promised land. Looking back on earth, the soul views the dreary wilderness through which it had passed. To stand on Mount Memory, comparing heaven with earth, fills the soul with unimaginable gratitude and makes it exclaim, Is this the inheritance that costs so much as the blood of Christ? No wonder, O blessed Christ. Is this the result of believing? Have the gales of grace blown me into such a harbor? Is this where Christ was so eager to bring me? Oh, praise the Lord, is this the glory of which the Scripture spoke, of which ministers preach so much? I see the gospel is indeed good news. All my troubles, Satan's temptations, the world's scorns and jeers, come to this? Oh, vile nature that resisted so much and so long, such a blessing. Unworthy soul, is this the place you came to so unwillingly? Was duty tiresome? Was the world too good to lose? Could you not leave all, deny all, and suffer anything for this? Oh, false heart, you had almost betrayed me to eternal flames and lost me this glory. Are you not ashamed now, my soul, that you questioned that love which brought you here? Are you not sorry that you ever quenched his spirit's prompting or misinterpreted his providence or contemplated about the narrow road that brought you to such a destination? Now are you sufficiently convinced that your blessed Redeemer was saving you as well as when he crossed your desires, as well as when he granted them, when he broke your heart, as well as when he bound it up? No thanks to you, unworthy self, for this crown, but to God be the glory forever. Written by Richard Baxter in 1650. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... We thank you for reminding us of who you are and how awesome you are and how great you are, how magnificent you are, how powerful you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are unshakable, that you cannot be moved, that you always remain, that your faithfulness to us is steadfast and sure. We thank you, Lord, that we can place our trust in your word 
because you are behind it. Thank you that you are the faithful one. And even when we are unfaithful, you remain that way. Father, we ask that you would bless the rest of our day, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, convict us, that you would just continually remind us of who we are truly trusting in. Pray that you would just bless this assembly. Lord, and that those who may be facing tempests and storms and agitation would learn to turn to you completely. That you are with us. That you never leave us nor forsake us. We ask that you would bless the rest of our day, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.